for another episode of General Snobbery, the podcast where we make fun of stuff. And today we have a special guest in the form of our one listener, David Spitz. Hi, good to be on again. I don't know who's <laughs> listening now, but... Yeah, I was kind of thinking about yeah. that. It's like, Aaron well. Brunmeyer's listening. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Aaron. Aaron recently got engaged. Good job, Aaron. Good job, Aaron. Hopefully, yeah, that, uh, hopefully the engagement is real and not a simulated reality like Ready Player Dumb. <laughs> That's what I'm calling this movie. <laughs> I actually just thought of that. I hadn't previously thought of that, but now I'm, I'm oh, really right. happy. I'm very proud of myself, yeah. I thought maybe you were like thinking about that all week and just <laughs> getting ready to say it. <laughs> the really sad thing would be if I actually had been thinking about that all week, and yet I, just, <laughs> and yet I claimed I just thought of it. <laughs> just so like the one person listening thinks that you're super clever and <laughs> witty on the spot. Exactly. Um, so this is a movie that probably no one is talking about anymore because it came out a while ago and like, it's, it seems to have passed really quickly. Yeah. It zoomed out of the zeitgeist very fast. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that's accurate, David? Um, I, I do. I think it was, it was super contra, like strangely controversial at the time it came out for. Really? It, I did not yeah, know that. It, it was. So I was, what? I was doing I was doing some, um, so the, the way that I, I came, I happened upon this movie is I was, it was on HBO. It just like showed up as like their, one of their new movies. And I was like, it had come out like a year or so ago and I was like bored one night and I started watching it. And I remember there was, when it first came out in theaters, there was a big controversy, um, because the book had come out a few years earlier and the cult, this is so stupid for how terrible this movie is, but the culture, <laughs> the culture had, kind of flipped on um like nerd or geek culture so uh there was i don't know if have you guys heard of like gamergate as a thing that it has happened it, it, it vaguely rings a bell but i don't okay. know it so it. <laughs> we're going down the rabbit hole here yeah similar to pizza gate yeah. gamergate well, kind of kind of yeah <laughs> so it was it was this thing on the um it was it, it happened on like for video game culture um, that all of these uh, these like um, women journalists and like game makers who are who are female were getting harassed um, like uh. really really bad harassment online and also in in person and over social media um, about and it was the 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 people who were doing it were all of these like typical like nerdy kind of geeky guys um, but it was because of they felt like they were changing their properties that they had like loved so much. They were like trying to add, you know, more diversity to these like video game franchises and stuff. Um, so that happened in the interim between when the book <laughs> came out and when the movie came out. So then if like, if you look at all of the nostalgia culture from the, from the film and all of these like exclusionary in jokes and everything, like people were like, Oh, this is actually kind of, kind of gross in a way that it's like, a way to keep these 
people who don't know like all of the uh, John uh-huh. Hughes movies out of this culture. Um, so like I was, I was looking at like some articles about the film and there were about like a million think pieces written at the time of its release. It was, it was very, very, like, I think you're right though. It's like, it's very quickly gone from the public uh, consciousness, but it was like for a brief moment shined very brightly. Wow. Like a diamond. <laughs> <laughs> but not a blood diamond. <laughs> So we talk about Jimon Hansau's scalp. <laughs> it's quite a shiny scalp. Yeah, he has a very good scalp. Uh, so okay, so basically, it was the book was written and the movie was intended to be sort of like an an ode to kind of uh, nerddom or or something like that. But then all of a sudden, it it became like a, a tale of of exclusion, essentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, I was thinking, do you remember that that scene where? Um, what's his name parcival wade whatever his name is yeah. you think we, we have to pronounce it like the bad guy parcival <laughs> oh yeah that guy <laughs> yeah with a very very noticeable lisp bad guy from the dark knight rises yeah and um rogue one. Oh yeah he's just a bad guy yeah since he has a lisp um so yeah so the first the first time like he and artemis the like love interest uh kind of gets it like have their like back and forth it's over the 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 creator of the video games like favorite shooter like goldeneye and mm-hmm. then they go they like yeah. test Odd each job. other yeah and they're like mm-hmm. slaps only do you know what that means and it's like and it's of it's just like it's this like test of are you <laughs> yeah <laughs> are you are you like worth my time if you know all of these esoteric facts about this like <laughs> stupid thing <laughs> yeah. yeah so <laughs> So wait, just to make sure I'm following. So the super nerds were mad that people were getting into video game development who weren't super nerds? Well, no. So it wasn't just the nerdiness of it. It was like if you look at a lot of like nerd culture, like kind of historically, a lot of it has been pretty bad in terms of like representation of, you Mm. know, a lot of things. But like in this case, like uh, female representation. So like, like... yeah, I mean, the games just are think so of like... Any, like, any movies from the 80s, like 16 Candles or like mm-hmm. any of those like classic um, 80s films, like you look, you watch them to now now and you're like, oh, these are like pretty gross in the way that they treat women. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, and with video games too, like so much of the art and like character development is very kind of like male centric. Um, and it was just like the, like the women Not who were Tomb working or Sonya Blade. Yeah. Sonya Blade. <laughs> yeah, I think. I think. Yeah, Tomb what Raider about those two examples, David? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Checkmate. <laughs> I think there was actually a. Um, there's. It's amazing how many stupid facts I have in my brain, but there was a. a I would love to hear an, them all. <laughs> when Angelina Jolie um, played Laura Croft, Lara Croft, there was a big argument about the size of her breasts in the movie. What? Uh, yeah, and they made her. Um, they made her wear like a like a push up bra or like a you know a bra that made her breasts even bigger than they are. Oh my god! And uh, that was that was a sign of progress when in the new Tomb Raider, <laughs> Alicia Vikander, whatever her name is, fought for it again and had uh, normal human like <laughs> size breasts. Wow. wow! Wow! What progress? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some big moves. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I don't know much about it, but I have always heard that like gamer culture is so like it's 
just absolutely predominantly male and all you ever have to do is watch one of these like kind of tech game shows that are on like spike tv and like the only female representation is the ubiquitous like attractive like female game commentator who's like seems who's like only role really seems to be to like make a couple comments on the game but more or less serve as an eyepiece for for all those goddamn nerds <laughs> so so what does that what does that have to do with the book ready player oh, one so I, and i feel like i never read the book so i i i don't <laughs> I mean, yeah. given, given the, this is this is over this snob is done get him off this snob <laughs> i was thinking given the the runtime of the film though i'm guessing nothing was cut out from the book to the movie oh, good point <laughs> so just like close to three hours yeah. it seems um, <laughs> same in private ryan length pretty much yeah <laughs> so there was and not uh, even damon in it <laughs> <laughs> there was a uh, so when the book came out i remember everybody like it was it was universally loved actually and it was um it was right it was right at the peak of or not even the peak but like right as as, as the nostalgia kind of wave was was going over the country um, yeah, we're gonna have to talk about that. Yeah, but it was <laughs> but it was before everyone realized how kind of like dangerous like cultural nostalgia can be too. Like um, member berries, member berries. Yeah, I was, I was actually just thinking of that. Um, so like when when the book came out, everybody was like you know loving it, and especially for this is a little bit older than I am to get a lot of the references from from childhood. Um, but especially like people who are maybe five or ten years older than me. Like mm-hmm. really, really kind of like trip down memory lane for a lot of the pop culture references. Um, and like it's not like the author himself is like was a part of this Gamergate or anything like this just kind of happened after that. But it was like between when the book came out and then the film, all of this stuff had happened. And then people were reconsidering like how we feel about the book now, too, um, which was kind mm. of I mean, it's, I think it's a little bit unfair to the author because he he didn't really intend or, or like couldn't have predicted this stuff to, to have happened afterwards. Um, but it's mm. just kind of like the, how the, how the sort of more people were rethinking about um, whether this was like a, a sort of nostalgia and then also sort of this geek or, or nerd culture. Um, so like kind of like a nerd elitism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems mixed with like also like a nerd chauvinism or something. Like, right. is that fair to say as well? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Cause so I, like, yeah, you go ahead. Because uh, it's not like the, I mean, the the people they were attacking, um, it's not as if they were like, you know, newbies to this to this culture. Like the the women journalists and and the, the women developers, like they were professionals in the video game world. It's just that they were advocating for, um, like, just you know, slightly better representation, uh-huh. and like that's that was kind of what they got attacked for. Is like <laughs> attacking this dogma of the great of the great intellectual properties that they that these people have loved so much <laughs> well they probably didn't watch the movie to the point where you realize that h is actually a black woman mm-hmm. <laughs> progressive so I want, progressive i wonder what uh jordan peterson would say about this nerdist elitism <laughs> mm. <laughs> doesn't exist <laughs> it's marxism postmodern. <laughs> I my my mind I, I've had I've had plenty of coffee today but I don't know if my mind was awake when you said Jordan Peterson my mind went to Jordan Peele that's exactly what I thought too oh yeah. interesting because you know he's like 
I don't know if he would be considered like a kind of a nerd or geek person, but he's definitely a horror sci-fi guy. And mm-hmm. so it's like, I feel like he probably would understand this movie on, on like a deeper level. Um, anyway, so, but yeah. And then you did your Jordan Peterson impression. And made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he would probably yeah. say, yeah, what would Jordan Peterson say? He would, he would talk about the stat that most gamers are, are predominant, predominantly, that's his <laughs> Canadian accent, predominantly male. <laughs> and that's dangerous. That's dangerous. And it's bloody scary. It's bloody, bloody scary. I feel like he might say those things. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so this movie kind of came into the, the snobbing landscape through, I, I got a messages from each of you individually like without you communicating with one another because i know that you know you guys do that a lot um (laughs) but each of you said really interesting things about this movie after your first viewing do you do you know what i'm referencing oh i i do actually i know what i'm uh, i think i know what you're referencing for me yeah maybe maybe you guys could share like what your initial responses were uh david as the guest do you want to go first Give me a second because I'm going to try to see if I can find the exact text. So, okay. uh, um, and while you're doing that, I guess uh, I'll share mine. I I don't remember exactly how I worded it, but I know I used the image of Steven Spielberg masturbating. <laughs> <laughs> That's what this movie felt like for me. <laughs> like maybe maybe in a deeper way, it was him masturbating to himself. So he was sort of like uh, Aristotle's image of God, although instead of thought thinking itself, it was... Steven Spielberg masturbating to himself. <laughs> and then the movie happened. Yeah. This is like a two and a half hour long Spielberg gasm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I made that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm better than Cameron. <laughs> yeah, because it's just like, uh, like, I feel like he must have, there are so many things in there also that he as far as I know, had like nothing to do with. So it just got to the point where it was like, it was just like everything that ever has been. And I felt like it was Steven Spielberg's way of saying like, I control this. Like, you know how hard it is to reference Michael Jackson in anything. I can do it. (laughs) (laughs) And then like, I think it was supposed to seem like really, really cool, but it's like, given the fact that video games and YouTube and Instagram and all these things are so common these days, like it's not hard to like see all of those things on a day-to-day basis as it is. So seeing them all together in a two and a half hour movie isn't actually that cool. Especially in 20 minutes of that movie is just like a recreation of The Shining for seemingly like no reason. <laughs> except like, right. yeah, That part made me really wish I was watching The Shining instead. I had the exact yeah. same thought. I was like, I need, I need to rewatch The Shining. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot more entertaining good. than this. It also made me think of uh, what Stanley Kubrick would have thought of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. And as we know, Steven yeah. Spielberg killed Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, because yeah. he revealed too much in Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> Oh yeah, QAnon. <laughs> QAnon. <laughs> yeah, uh, real real quick. I don't know if we're gonna get back to The Shining, but in case we don't, I just need to mention that I was really really disappointed that there was no Scatman in that entire Shining <laughs> bit. It's like fifteen to twenty minutes of The Shining, and not a single mention or like view of like a CGI Scatman yeah. getting just destroyed or just. You could have just put his dead body on the ground, like at least some. <laughs> homage to Scatman Crothers, but nothing. I agree. Yeah. They, well, they yeah, didn't I, have enough money for CGI in this, obviously. 
That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On a tight budget. Yeah. Um, I found I so I found the text that I sent you initially when I watched this. Okay. So I said, "Did you ever see Ready Player One?" You're like, "No thoughts." It's probably the worst movie I've ever seen, but it could also be a very dark, ingenious satire on corporations, escapism, godless religion, etc. But I'm pretty sure it's just terrible. <laughs> that's that's really good. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Later, later, I said. Um, it was definitely one of the worst viewing experiences I've ever had, mm. but also, <laughs> but also like demonically compelling. I couldn't turn it off at any time in the four-hour runtime, and had to finish it. I was ba- I was soul bound. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, something that struck me about it was, um, it just in a complete twist of irony. I found myself both the first time and this time watching it an extreme sense of boredom and a movie where it's like constant movement really shouldn't evoke boredom. Yeah. Well, it's, I think too, I was thinking about it because I, I had the same thought cause I, I rewatched it um, in preparation for this and I had to skip a bunch of sections mm-hmm. um, like any action section. I was like hitting the, the skip ahead button. Um, yeah. <laughs> skipping ahead to the, the exhilarating conversations. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was skipping ahead to the great character development. Um, right. Yeah. Uh huh. With Wade Watts and his his one face that he can make. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I talk about it. Talk about a main character that you just have no sympathy for. <laughs> At no point did I feel myself ever relating to him. No. Yeah. Um, Probably the character I relate with the most was Simon Pegg. Oh, he was awesome. He was awesome. (laughs) And he was in a grand total of four minutes of the movie. Yeah, he's got kind of like a John Hammond presence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I I was thinking of like why, because I think you're right that for so much action being on the screen, it's so boring. And this time I was thinking that it's probably because the the stakes are so um, mismatched (laughs) in this film. Mm -hmm. Um, So... So like almost all of the act like at the very end there's action in the real world but like almost all of the action is in. Was this, there? Uh, <laughs> when yeah. Remember when they're in right. Columbus? <laughs> in the stacks. In the stacks. That's right. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I found uh, an article that kind of captured my my feelings about this, um, and I think it's like a it's a both like a storytelling flaw, but also um, just like a very dark take on where our culture is going um, so this is from an article called ready player one is a fun romp that's even more dystopian than it realizes um, so it talks about an early shot at like, the very beginning of the movie going through um, where you see like everybody's on their vr set nobody's like mm-hmm. interacting with the real world um, and they say like that seems dystopian not that the world is bad but that nobody cares anymore about fixing it um, but ready player one has a different idea there's no sense in the film that anyone really should be paying attention to what's brought their civilization to this place. It's one of the more frightening things I've seen in a movie, largely because it's only a few notches past the world we inhabit now, like a scene from Black Mirror. Um, they've entirely neglected the stuff of human life. They'd rather just escape into another world created by a couple of programs. And then it's it's not told as a satire, but it's told as like a heroic quest yeah they're they're not even saving the real world they're saving this virtual world that like is like as they're they're like sickly addicted to in this like gross way and then like the 
the main <laughs> bad guy, uh, the like the evil corporation. Nolan. No, yeah, Sorrento. <laughs> Nolan. <laughs> his his like evil plan is to introduce advertisements into this into this game. But yeah, like eighty percent of the visual field. Like mm-hmm. that's that's like down the tier of of gross things that are like everybody is 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 addicted to this technology like it like who cares if there are advertisements in it no mm-hmm. one's like living their actual life out, out there um uh, but that's that's i think mm-hmm. was part of the the like lack of um st- or the the strangeness of the stakes is so much of the the online or the like game action is has is either has no effect or like kind of a gross effect to the real lives of these characters but I, I thought it did have some real effect in that, like, you know, IOI and Nolan are trying to take control over the Oasis and they've got these loyalty centers where they like literally lock people up and like make them <laughs> indentured <laughs> servitude. Yeah, indentured servitude to pay off their coin. <laughs> <laughs> and so like the more control they have the more they're just like <laughs> caging people up in this real world and when parsifal becomes the new god he uh he makes two days of mm-hmm. oasislessness yeah <laughs> so he's, yeah. he's bringing people back to the real world yeah <laughs> yeah i it's interesting though i think in some ways it it did have that but it almost like it made that like a secondary theme you know what i mean and yeah. so it it didn't I, f- I feel like it didn't quite lean into it enough to to really be making comments that your average audience member would go away saying like oh wow that was that was commenting on us you know because like a really good satire will kind of be, be in either a distant land or a distant time but it will be making direct comments on us and I feel like it's not strong enough to make the direct comments on almost like our society today which is like interesting because I wonder if it was intended to do that but also. Uh, I thought it was just kind of interesting that, uh, David, I think you were, you had, oh yeah, you one of the themes that you said you were interested in was sort of this godless religion that the world sort of presents. And I thought it was interesting that one of the days off is not Sunday or yeah, Saturday for yeah. that matter, um, but it's Tuesday and Thursday. Yeah, I was that at the very end, because that's um, when they, yeah, Tuesday and Thursday, I was thinking like, oh, this is like a Sabbath that they're, that they're taking mm-hmm. from it. Um, but it's like. It it seems so weird. Like, in if we were going to take this this reality seriously, that they're they're living in a video game for like almost twenty four seven, but they're going to take two days off from it, and that's like that's supposed to be the cure for this. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) yeah. Something I wondered was like, how are these people surviving? Like they they show moments where it seems like everyone is literally always hooked in and the way they described at the beginning, again, in this very glorious triumphant way that is never like, I feel like a a good satire might show it as glorious and triumphant. And then at the end show it as like uh, destructive, but it never shows it as destructive. This Oasis world, um, (laughs) Oasis, the band. And, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, you know, you see people like in their huts or in their trailers, like doing this, but you never see anyone eating or technically working a job i was just like how do Hmm. people survive in this world i guess they're just content to be living in these poor slums yeah and i guess it's just that they don't like so much of their life is is spent in the oasis that because yeah i I don't i think you're right that we never really see anybody working except for the the sixers in the company i Mm -hmm. guess Um, and even because i think sean you mentioned the the uh what do they call those like indentured servant 
places. Oh, the loyalty centers. The loyalty center. Like even those, it, maybe I'm wrong, but the sense I got was like the debt that they were paying off was like in-game debt. It wasn't even like, like they had, they had paid, I, I don't even know if it was, it was like not real world money, but they mm-hmm. were, they were so well, low there on was, coin or something. There was some connection though, like between the in-game money and real world money, because when Parzival gets that first key and he gets like hundreds of thousands of coin and buys that Zemeckis cube and oh my he, he buys a new suit in the game yeah. and then it gets oh, delivered yeah. to his yeah. shipping container from IOI. So they like control resources based on like game uh, wealth, I suppose. And so, so it could I be think like you're a... right that they're repaying that game debt, but like they lock up the real person into those little tiny areas so they can't escape and they force them to have like oasis headset on and do like labor in the game it's, i think it's kind of interesting that like i mean so the money in that way seems to be like a bitcoin or something essentially where it's like it's totally digital but it's also real uh but something yeah. that was interesting about locking the people up is if if everyone can exist in the game like wouldn't there be a way that they could just program someone's avatar to like only be allowed to work for them it's like fine like you can go on your oasis thing but you can only like work for us like it doesn't seem like you have to actually lock physical people up you know what i mean like, it seems like you could invent a program where it's like yeah join oasis but once you're in there you're limited in what you're allowed to do until you pay us off yeah, or something yeah yeah that's a good point like like they're literally locked up like remember she like couldn't even take the thing off her head right right <laughs> And that guy in the cell next to her was like getting like electrocuted or something. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I think it's really funny when like a movie is so blatant in showing you who is evil. Yeah, you know? <laughs> they, might, I mean, they might as well. Like when we see Nolan for the first time, first of all, I noticed the detail. His tie, it said NS. He had his initials on his tie. I've never seen like a, a mam. What is it called? Like a whatever a, a, a custom sort of tie like that and it's Sickening. at ioi uh because isn't that the name of their fucking company yeah which has mm-hmm. two eyes in it which means they're selfish <laughs> <laughs> i did so what, i did like the um that you mentioned the like body suits or something that they can buy to to mm-hmm. experience the world better i did think it was very interesting like just how materialistic this movie is um where I was thinking, so like that part, that that part seemed very like if if this ever happened, like realistic that you could buy like better skins or like better better equipment to experience the game better. Um, but I was thinking of um, like a, a much better movie, The Matrix, where mm-hmm. it, a part of that is like if you die in The Matrix, then your your body dies in, in right. real life. Yeah, and actual in, consequences. Yeah, and in this one, um, one of the like just like a brief snippet that really struck me. So in this one, if you die in the game, you don't die in real life, but you lose all of your like in-game money and like power-ups for your character. And mm-hmm. this is almost shown as like worse than than physical death. Yeah, that Japanese guy tries to jump out a window. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I was thinking about. <laughs> so here's a, we mentioned a, a Spielberg tropes. Uh, here's one. Um, stereotyping Asian people is a big time Spielberg trope. Like, he has done done that a number Japanese of times. This guy tried to kill himself. Yeah, it's like, oh, that's all Japanese people are, I guess. <laughs> that's the only Japanese person in the whole movie is one who's like trying to kill himself. And then the others who are like prepared for that event <laughs> stop him. Yeah. There's like a guy whose job is to stop people from killing themselves. 
<laughs> yeah, we had we have like fire drills and tornado drills. And Jap- yeah, Japanese company have suicide prevention drills because it's so yeah. common. Yeah, that seems. I guess he's been stereotyping Asian people since um, the Temple of Doom, right? Yeah, Temple of Doom. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's maybe before that, but that's yeah. the earliest I can think of. Was the shark Asian in Jaws? Who's that? <laughs> I was. I literally had that thought. Like I almost said that, but I, <laughs> I, was, I was like that. The shark was like vaguely Asian. <laughs> maybe he named him Bruce after Bruce Lee. <laughs> Bruce Campbell. <laughs> it probably wasn't even around then. Um, so to to touch back on that um, that suit thing, I, I saw an interview with uh, old Ernie Ernie Klein, who wrote the book, and um, he he was talking. This was like an interview before the movie was even made, and he was talking about like kind of where gaming seems to be going and like all the research he did into gaming technology and he was talking about like the the biggest advan- advancements in gaming technology as being developed by the military and being used in the military and he was like talking about that as something that already exists like where he mentioned this crazy thing where there were these like you know it's a VR type of setup and they had some sorts of gloves where like when you grab something in the game, it produces that physical sensation. He was saying that like in the game, if you like grab a gun, like your hand like will stop as if it's holding a gun. Like somehow the these gloves wow. or this technology will like affect your nerves in such a way to where you literally feel that. So I guess that like that part is like based on where like things legitimately seem to be going, which is mm-hmm. crazy. That is crazy. Yeah, especially when you think of all the, like, the VR potential worlds and all the pervs out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard um, uh, that, like, I, I've never done VR before, but I, I've heard the, like, the really cool. <laughs> I, I, Why I do we have this guy? On? <laughs> You've never worn an Oculus? <laughs> I've, never, I've never been to the Oasis. <laughs> um, yeah, have fun with your I... Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, I've heard people talk about, like, the, the, for the potential of VR, um, that, like, not, not on the military level, because that, that seems like a pretty cool, like, training almost of it, but, like, just on a consumer level, that the ones that are really popular are where you can, like, enter into a new personality. Like, you become, yeah. like, a... John Malkovich. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be a great the Malkovich game. planet. <laughs> yeah. And there's, um... <laughs> there's a there's like one of the one of the early lines in the, in the film that kind of struck me in that regard was like uh wade or whatever his name is was talking about why people go to the oasis and it's it's something along the lines of you know people people go to the oasis for what they can do but they they stay for who they can be yeah and like yeah that, that i that ability to like inhabit or like shape a new identity i think is like a really powerful force yeah i wow. My little brother had, or no, he's, I think he still has it, an Oculus. And um, I'd probably like a year and a half to two years ago, I went over and he had this new game that I think was free. And it was basically like the Oasis, like, you, you know, not nearly as advanced, but like you have an avatar and 
you just explore a limitless world and travel between planets and all these different like regions and areas have different things you can do and different like buildings, different structures and everyone's that you interact with is it like a literal person who's in that thing too and they're all there's like pokemon and <laughs> like just i mean you could make a custom character so it's like that i forget what this what it's called i'm sure that if there's one nerd listening to this they'll really really be disappointed in me for not knowing but um well, yeah it, that's it, it, it like already seem, exists it seems doesn't seem all that different in terms of like community as uh, something like world of warcraft um where yeah. it's, it's not as immersive obviously as as the oasis but it's for how many hours people spend in it and how like they they i don't know join tribes or or clans or whatever and then like unless they don't clan up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Except at the end. At the end he learned he learned to have his clan. The uh, high five, right? Oh my god. This movie is, that is what so they stupid. <laughs> the high five. <laughs> the, you know what? I think just the the parts of the movie that were like supposed to be big character moments felt mm-hmm. just absolutely <sighs> ridiculous. Yes. Um, like so like what? The, the high five, but the an earlier one was when Artemis reveals that she has a birthmark. A birthmark, yeah, that's <laughs> just what came to my mind. And it's like, <laughs> the the they act as if they they act as if she is like this hideous woman who's like a gorgon that will turn him to stone if he gazes upon her, and she is like she is literally a beautiful movie actress who has a birthmark on her face. Yeah, yeah a very like a very light beautiful birthmark. Yeah. Right, like from probably more than fifteen feet away, it'd be possible to see. <laughs> and then yeah. it, she has a big character moment when she gives that birthmark to her avatar. Artemis. Mm. <laughs> like, oh, oh she's God. finally accepted it. <laughs> Thanks to Parsifal. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I get it. So in this place, like you're, you know, you go to kind of be someone else, but actually what the lesson you learned is you're fine just the way you are. Oh, and yet, and that's yet, what no, it's about. Yeah. Oh, I get it. Mm. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's <was> complex. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm a I'm sad that we never got to see TJ Miller's real person. I know. <laughs> I wanted to see who that guy actually was. Yeah, right when I heard his voice, I was happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> your friend yeah. TJ Miller. My buddy yeah, TJ. Yeah, yeah. Your buddy. <laughs> yes, listener, I did give him a hug once. Mm-hmm. It was nice. Yeah. He was on the phone as I was hugging him with, um, I think it turns out his with the wife. Police. <laughs> yeah, with the police. <laughs> this man is hugging me. <laughs> and instead of like kind of communicating with me, he was talking to the person on the phone and explaining that he was hugging a stranger. Uh. <laughs> It's nice to have that sense of removal. Yeah. Uh, by the way, thank you for listening, TJ. Yes. Uh, sorry it took us so long to get to you in the conversation. <laughs> yeah. Looking forward to having you on the podcast. <laughs> um, could we talk a little about that nostalgia thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so what instantly came to my mind is Stranger Things. and Me too. Yeah. Like, that's... I, I remember when I first started hearing about Stranger Things during the first season, it was when I was a teacher and all my students were talking about how awesome it was. And that Mr. Poopy Butthole exists. <laughs> yeah. 
you told me you learned about that from a student. Yes, so yeah, that was of. that was I was very grateful for that actually. <laughs> anyway, sorry yeah. for interrupting. All these students talking about how awesome Stranger Things was, and I remember this one kid I I liked sat in the front, just like Mister R, you gotta watch Stranger Things. And I was like, why? Why do I have to watch this show? He's like, it's it's got all these '80s pop culture references. It's awesome. And I was like, wait, that. Like, <laughs> what else? Like, I don't give a shit if you fucking reference <laughs> 80s culture. Like, what makes it good? <laughs> like, it seemed like a huge percentage of people thought it was good because of that reason. Like, because it yes. references 80s culture. And I feel like that's kind of the it, that mentality that this movie tries to appeal to. It's like, it just puts in all these references so that people can just be like, oh, yeah, I got that. And then just, like, keep watching. <laughs> like, it doesn't offer any, like, really any intellectual engagement. It's just, like, recognition of things. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. it's weird, yeah. too, that it was, like, a student who was saying that. Too. Like, because I can yeah, understand. Yeah, dude was probably born in, like, 99. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, that's what I think is, like, crazy is I can, I can understand someone who's, like, in their 30s or 40s being nostalgic for for the 80s yeah but like that kid was never around yeah, so dude, for you the didn't 80s. even you didn't even know any of these before seeing stranger mm-hmm. things you've been told to be nostalgic about this and now you like yeah. are wow that's a really good way of putting but I, it i feel like the same thing happened to me like if we take it back a decade or two like i feel like i've inherited nostalgia for like the 60s and like the hippies and like that whole era you know, through like Forrest Gump and shit. And I didn't live that time, but mm-hmm. yeah, but like the, it becomes images that are just like fed to us and be like, you missed this, you missed this. Yeah. You know, but it's really interesting. Like, I feel like for other movies in different times, like let's say Forrest Gump or Saving Private Ryan or other Hanks movies. Like, yeah. <laughs> Forrest Gump, Saving Private Ryan, The Terminal. Uh, <laughs> Castaway, catch, catch you if you <laughs> catch can. can. Actually, catch me if you can would be a good one for this example. But you got uh, mail. <laughs> Turner and Hooch. Uh, <laughs> Big. I feel. <laughs> I feel like for all those movies, no one else, no one talks about those movies as if like, oh, Forrest Gump is making 1960s references or. Uh, the Untouchables is making 1920s or 30s references. Like those movies are just <laughs> historical timepieces. And yet, for some reason, when Stranger Things came out, everyone viewed it as if the show was making 80s references. When in reality, it's just a timepiece. Like those kids aren't referencing Ghostbusters; they're referencing their reality. You know, like in the show, hmm. and they're not referencing Atari. It's just taking place in the 80s. So it's kind of funny that I feel like hmm. our culture has almost. Um, the way we view media now is almost, or at least in this example, I, I don't, I don't have an overarching like theme to describe it, but it's just, it's interesting to note that yeah. Stranger Things was largely seen as a reference piece, not as a time piece. That's that's interesting because I guess Ready Player One then would be way more of a reference piece because like the time is in the future and they're literally like referencing back and talking about referencing back. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, Nolan Sorrento loves John Hughes movies and loves to yeah. pop a tab and... <laughs> pop a tab? Like, there's no way tab exists in 2046. Like, that that's probably proven to cause cancer today. And we're, like, 30 years out from when this movie takes place. No one in the future is going to fucking drink tab. <laughs> pop a tab. Plus, like, 
who who like what billionaire what ceo billionaire's idea of relaxing is to drink a soda and sit on a chair like that's so unbelievable it's like when a politician says i care for young young poor people like eat my ass (laughs) might make you feel good for a second but (laughs) just a lie yeah but i think uh yeah oh go ahead sorry no, I was actually going to ask you what you think. So Go uh, I was going to say for that, the nostalgia, and I, I wonder if that could tie into kind of this um, one of the ideas I had of of the this godless religion now, because um, you were mentioning like this movie is so just referential to to pop culture in in a way that like it's as you said like as opposed to those other films that's not in the time period at all, mm-hmm. um, and it, it was reminding me a little bit about like um, people who like really 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 study the bible um to it to a, like a crazy degree um mm-hmm. like those uh um, who are able to kind of like memorize every every passage from scripture or mm-hmm. or know all of these facts um and i was thinking about in relation to those the um like the scholars that ioi employs ah. in in uh to like figure out these clues and and it it's it seems weird when you when you divorce it from like a god figure or or a deity and it's just like they're trying to memorize all of these things about just this like regular old guy um who's like programmed this game um and that's that's the part where i was feeling like some of the like dystopian and like emptiness of this world is it has a lot of like the trappings of a religion but without any of the actual like spirituality of a religion um kind of like so i made a like a little list of things that like religion offers people just like as a as a as a part of their life and a lot of them seems like the oasis has has replaced that Hmm. um so we mentioned earlier the uh the part where it like helps you shape your identity that you can be like a new person in this in this place in the same way that you can like if you if you're a religious person you can take on a new identity separate from your um, sort of like earthly world. Um, but then like just a few other things, um, it allows you to have this like larger meaning or, or quest in your life. Um, it, it lets you have a community of people that you interact with. You know, you've got your, you've got your clan or whatever. Um, and (laughs) it, uh, it allows you to kind of like worship something beyond yourself. Um, in the way that I think, I think one of the first lines about um, the Halliday, the creator is like, he was like a God, people loved him. They mm-hmm. worshiped him as much as his creation. Um, and I think like, you know, Mark Rylance, <laughs> <laughs> you worship Mark Rylance, Dunkirk, um, Dunkirk. <laughs> and I, I think like a lot of these things are, are good and, and valuable things that, that religion offers, but it's just like, when you get it in just like this, this obviously like materialistic and escapist like godless uh thing that they've created it just seems so so like disgusting in a way yeah that's that's really interesting like what is it you know because like one aspect of of religions tends to be this idea of finding the the universal balance that is essentially lost or that continues to elude humanity and in some ways, almost like they try and present that at the end in a very artificially kind of forceful way. It's like, oh, like it, benevolence, like these 
this young man found it and and now benevolence is restored and i mean in some ways it's it's almost like kind of reminds me of uh it's like the video game version of Willy Wonka. It's like, ah, oh, yeah. like the best kid gets the whole factory. Yeah, that was um, actually apparently, like Ernest Klein said in that interview, that was one of his biggest influences. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. The Johnny Depp version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not enough. Oh, you know what? There was a Tim Burton reference. Beetlejuice was in. Oh. Beetlejuice was in Ready Player One huh. at one point. It was a guy who was like, oh my God, you're Percival. Um, anyway. <laughs> Wait, right before Goro came and saved him? Yeah, right before Goro, yeah, honestly. Goro and the alien all in one. Yeah, alien popping out of Goro chest. <laughs> like, that's, uh, that's very masturbatory. Yeah, yeah, that's, there's something very Freudianly sexual about that. And as we know, Spielberg <laughs> loves Freud. That's <laughs> true. Uh, but it, a lot of the, especially like the battle scenes, this idea that there are like, levels of personality there are almost like benevolent uh leaders there are godlike figures there are creators there are um you know savior type figures reminded me almost of some of the like polytheistic like myths and i'm not very familiar with them but i do remember at one point in time learning some of the babylonian creation stories and how it essentially whereas the create the christian creation story is a christian jewish creation story is about uh, a single God creating goodness for the sake of goodness. Essentially the Babylonian creation stories were about uh, dueling gods, creating humans as pawns to sort of, you know, fix the world. And then there was the, there were these gods and there was like other gods and gods of the sea and gods of the sun and, and this sort of thing. And some of those battle scenes kind of reminded me, it's like, Oh, this is probably what, like, if you were to look at like Babylonian or, uh, you know, even like any kind of polytheistic, maybe like Hindu art, like I feel like it would it would be similar to like some of these weird battle scenes. Makes me think of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Ah, yeah, yeah. All these different gods battling, duking it out, and You're planning right. planning up in different ways and different alliances that affect humanity at large. They're just these mass studios are just creating this this polytheism and fucking You're up right. all of our. <laughs> Our spiritual yeah. unity. <laughs> wow, that's a, that, you're so right. Like, I mean, because at, at the at the core of it is this what the, these um, these mythological instincts maybe of human beings to yeah. to want these characters and and see how those who are flawed are are destroyed and how those who are good are complex or I don't know something yeah. like that. And then Thanos. Yeah, Thanos makes me laugh so hard. <laughs> I, I know almost nothing about him, and yet I just utterly adore him. <laughs> and I like that he kills people by snapping. And I don't even know if that's true, but because I've never seen it. But yeah, me neither. I'm really, just like it makes me happy that maybe I like Thanos because I'm not a big Marvel fan. So the idea of Marvel figures dying and people becoming sad over it. <laughs> Makes me really happy. I'm really sorry, David, if you're if you're a big. Oh no, I've never seen, I've never seen the Thanos movie either. So. <laughs> the Thanos movie. <laughs> I really I wish it were called that. <laughs> I think I think actually what I did was when that movie came out, I looked. I found a YouTube video that just had a list of every character that died, and I was like, oh, okay. what twenty of them? <laughs> I love that you did that. <laughs> That makes me the so Thanos happy. Movie. <laughs> it's like the SpongeBob movie or like the Emoji movie, <laughs> the Lego movie, <laughs> just the Thanos movie. 
God, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, those are just mythologies. Those are just yeah. polytheistic yeah. pagan mythologies. Well, I think too, like it's um, it's it's weird because it's like when we when we think about Marvel, if you if you don't aren't in that that fandom, like it just seems so stupid. Oh um, man, yeah. But like, if you're if you're a, a true believer, like that, it's like you take this very very seriously. And I, I think yeah. that's like kind of another kind of religious connection where it's like mm-hmm. from the from the outside group, it seems it seems kind of silly and and um, meaningless. But then like it's a very different experience if you're if you're within that within that yeah. experience. Like if you're within it, there's there there's orthodoxy and there are in, there are interpretations. You know, like there's people who. And I know some people who are like really into those Marvel movies and they talk about times they cried and teared up and um, they, you know, they explain the significance of certain things and they analyze in like a deeply sort of psychological way. And and I, I, I if I ever watch them, I watch them purely for entertainment value and to make fun of them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it must be like like the those people like the, the new atheist type, sort of the Richard, uh, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris and. You know, it's like if if they examine a religion, they're examining it for the sake of why it's stupid for the most part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I am with Marvel. So you got the sense of the godlessness in Ready Player One. Um, would Halliday like be the god, or is he like a like a Christ? Yeah. So that's that's a good question. Like a messiah. I, was, I think he's. I mean, he's put in the position of the like creator God where, right. I mean, they they've talked about people worshiping him and um, even the, the like overall quest to find his Easter egg. Um, be, this, then this is movie is so stupid. <laughs> be, be like, it's like <laughs> the final reference is an adventure, like the Atari 26, yeah, the Holy game. grail. Yeah. And it's, um, I think it's, so it's, it's not that you beat the game, but that you find this like little Easter egg. And then the, what shows up is the, is the name of the game developer, um, as like the, the ultimate Easter egg is to find kind of a mark of the creator uh, in the world. Like this was a game designed by somebody for you to play. Um, so I think there's part of that where it's Hmm. like the, it's not just like a mystery of like who created this, this oasis or or why but um a way to say like oh this is this was created for us for this reason um the reason i I think it's like godless though is that like from the audience's perspective we know this is just a guy like there's and he's like very flawed and um, he's a dork It kind of gives me like the sense of um, like like newer like relatively newer religions. Um, so like like Mormonism or, or, or Scientology um, or and I'm sure there's others, but, um, the ones that <laughs> <laughs> the ones that have like that are within like historical time frame where like we we remember when they were started or we know when mm. they were started and like those always strike me as like if you're not belonging in that religion they're like especially kind of silly or especially hmm. kind of like yeah yeah know? like Elron hubbard is like this yeah. prophetic figure and she's like well that's that guy when i yeah. google image him <laughs> and i, I can, can see, see all these pictures of him yeah. with his books 
Yeah, I, I had a I had a history teacher one time, and he talked about you know historical religions and having a certain sense of of license and and sort of believing them. But he you could you could hear his bias, and he was just confused. He's like he's like nowadays he's like I don't know how anyone is Mormon. <laughs> he's like I mean you can you can look at the newspapers, you can see exactly where Joseph Smith plagiarized. And I was like this is really funny because he didn't do any kind of disclaimer like hey if you're a Mormon in here. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really about to bash you. He just went for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's just more or less socially acceptable. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, that's be you know, PC, but you can make fun of the Mormons and Scientologists. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> uh, but I think that might tie back into what our discussion about nostalgia was before, and um, uh, your your experience with your student, who like obviously wasn't nostalgic in the traditional sense of remembering a part of his life. I think there's a part of like human nature that wants to ground your experience or ground the meaning or purpose of your life in some longer narrative, um, that mm. like started before you. Um, hmm. so like, like the made, like some of the major religions. So if you take like Christianity or, or Islam or like Hinduism, um, or Buddhism, like those, like those have historical precedents as well, but they're so, they're so in the distant past that they seem to almost take on a new, um, kind of like ontology with you where it's like, okay, that, that doesn't seem historical in the way L. Ron Hubbard seems historical. It seems like, mm -hmm. I, I guess maybe like more mythical in a sense. And that, that like myth making, um, provides like a grounding that, uh, like, a like some of these other like newer things don't. That's interesting. Um, and movies and all these references are kind of like the modern myth making in a sense. So like, yeah, it's not ancient, in that that same kind of way but i mean it's it's kind of like the the myths that we're creating oh sorry and I mean, like passed down through time yeah spielberg's yeah. probably the biggest myth maker where it's like you think right. about like i mean i i can't tell you how many spielberg movies i've seen or not seen but i feel like i saw them even before i saw them um so like when i watched india like raiders of the lost ark for the first time like i knew who indiana jones was or like when i watched mm -hmm. jaws for the first time i felt like i had like no, known that that, that shark. asian shark yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you know you mentioned earlier david about like the dangers of like nostalgia nostalgizing to this degree like what could you say a little more about that yeah so i think like um and I, like, I, I don't want to sound like I'm like bashing religion because I think like a lot of those things that I said, like that it offers are like really good and and um, like help uh, or like are meaningful for the human experience. But I think there are like also bad sides that come in. And when you don't have um, like the the grounding, they, they seem to like really kind of sh show as, as bad things. So like I'm thinking of the kind of the exclusionary part of it um, where. Uh, we mentioned we talked about like that odd job golden eye discussion beforehand, but this idea mm -hmm. that you can like if you're not if you if you don't know every single thing about fandom that like we can cast you off as as like the out group. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's kind of a you see that dynamic happen in religion a lot, um, which, and, which is like ironic because it's supposed to be like most of these major religions are supposed to be very inclusionary. Mm -hmm. um, and I also think it's it's weird that while you have um, in a lot of ways this. Uh, I guess like egalitarianism where like you can go to the Oasis 
<clears throat> and it doesn't matter who you are, <laughs> but you like can be anybody and you're kind of like on an equal footing, just like how good you can play the game. Um, but then it's also like within that you get these like strange hierarchies too, that I think you see in a lot of religions too, that sort of sort of on their face say we're all you know children of god or or whatever and we're all equal but then there's these clear hierarchies that that are created so you know you've got the the people who've got the really good suits or the really good gloves um versus the people who like you know can't afford those things in the real world um so i think those those are two big ones the exclusionary and then like these hierarchies that you see Hmm. yeah i remember thinking when stranger things came out and there was like this cultural nostalgizing. It was like the same time that Trump got elected on like a platform of make America great again, which feels like it's appealing to the same thing. Like this kind of ungrounded cultural nostalgia, just like this perpetuating a sense that things were better and simpler and um, we can we can get back there because... Stranger Things is a show. Um, <laughs> Stranger Things got Trump elected. Yeah, right. Like, the connection always had tried to like make it concrete and it would start to feel a little airy. But I don't think it's really coincidental that those kind of struck at the same time. And, you know, I don't think it's new either. I think it's like mm-hmm. it's a, just a trend of both the individual and the collective, like the way that you know, we think of our, you can think of childhood and like the romantics, you know, you think of childhood and the sense of like perfect mm. innocence loss that, you know, would be so much better than now. And yeah. yet, you know, you can't get back to it. So you have your you know, individual memories of that. And I think the danger comes when there's too much focus on that memory and how things once were. And it casts how things are in like um, darkness and like shadow and seeing what is as inferior to what was. And so I think there's like, there's a balance where like it can be, you know, fun and illuminating to kind of revel in those memories and in that nostalgia, but only insofar as it's not like draining the color from this like contemporary world. And so maybe like the characters in, ready player one or the world in ready player one has just gone so far into that like wistful nostalgia that like that's then reflected in the bleakness of their world because like you know they've lost the sense that like there's good things around too or there could be good things if they created it that way you know they've created this world into shit the same way that they've created the oasis into like you know paradise or whatever yeah i I heard someone just kind of as an anecdote talking about the idea of uh, generations and nostalgia. They use the phrase something like every generation simultaneously thinks that that generation is the best and the worst Uh, in the sense of like, on the one hand, there's this certain level of arrogance, like this is the best generation occurring or like not necessarily generation um, time period epoch, something like that. It's like, this is the best one. But at the same time, holding this feeling of like, it was better back then, which are two kind of, it's it's one of those bizarre situations where the mind holds contradictory thoughts in tandem. Mm. Like, uh, this is the best epoch that has ever existed. I mean, sort of in kind of a Trumpian way, like right now, right, like, yeah. having Trump as president, this is the best thing ever. However, it used to be better. It's like, right. You, what you can't, those, those contradict. Um, and in some ways, that reminds me a lot, actually, of some of a book that I've recently read. Have either of you heard of this book called iGen, by chance? 
So not not I, InGen. <laughs> uh, Hoskins? Was it Hoskins? Hoskins, yeah. yeah from Jurassic Hoskins. World. InGen. That's amazing. <laughs> InGen, the book. So iGen is this book about the current youth generation known as Generation Z, but which the name iGen, like iPod, is becoming kind of a more colloquial term for it. And hmm. iGen, the book talks a lot about what uh, younger kids are dealing with these days. And basically, it all revolves around this idea of media and in particular social media. And an interesting thing, it talks about how modern technology, especially social media, creates depression, anxiety levels, all these things that are like not good. And the bizarre thing is they're happening to like children and like younger kids. So it's one thing for like a 50 year old to remember the olden days. It's another thing for like a 16 year old to be pondering the olden days when they're in the prime of their youth. And I think some of it might have to do with this fact that the social media in large part creates a sense of isolation and loneliness. Um, and while at the same time, you can use it to kind of, you can use media and technology to realize how things were simpler. And so it's just sort of bizarre that the thing that is sort of like gives us access to understanding how it used to be is also the thing that makes us long for how it used to be. Yeah. Um, and the thing that's like promises to be like the most collective and the most unifying thing that actually like, you know, makes us further and further apart. Yeah. Like it actually can create like a, so a social network. I mean, sort of like in RP Ready Player One when it's like, Hey, find H. And then it's like, you can just like find your friend and it doesn't matter where this person is in the world, like the real world or where they are in the Oasis world. Like you can go to them instantly. Uh, but I just, I think it's so interesting that I wonder if that has anything to do with the, the nostalgia because they're the, at least the way this book presents it. And it's, it's not a very, it's, it's a bit of a depressing read. Um, but it basically presents it like, okay, like, young kids growing up today with the technology we have like they are much they they don't really realize it but they really long for a simpler time because the complicated nature of social media relations is like one that is just for the most part um difficult or harmful even mm -hmm. so i wonder if any of that has to do with this sudden increase in nostalgia because like i mean like but maybe it's other stuff like hipster culture that was that loved anachronistic things like great you can buy cigarettes or you can spend 20 minutes rolling your own you know like but so i wonder if i wonder if you could even diagnose like what is the what is sort of this cultural collective feel for nostalgia well i think when you mentioned like the idea of there were these simpler times bef beforehand um i think that's that's an interesting like because that's that always ties in with nostalgia no one says like just better times or like better but more complicated times it's, it was always simpler um, <laughs> yeah. and, I, and i think for like kids in, in that iGen generation um so much of it is like they're constantly inundated with with stimuli so whether it's like social stimuli that you mentioned like if you're always on social media you're you're always um you're like you never get a break from balancing social interactions you're always thinking about okay how am i presenting myself how can i present to other people um and then even like entertainment culture, like, uh, you know, I'm like a teacher. So like I see kids every free minute they have is playing a video game, playing Fortnite yeah. or, or playing. And, and like, I think for, um, 
like kids, there's a big difference between like loneliness and solitude. And like a lot of like, there's a very low amount of solitude, I think now in our culture. And then like, but there's also a high amount of loneliness Mm. going along with that. Um, And I I was thinking to like, for like Ready Player One, um, I don't know about you guys, but like, if I had the option of going into the Oasis, like I would never do it. Like it did not seem like a fun place to really be. Mm -hmm. Um, and then especially with like when they, when we sort of get out and we meet Artemis in the real world, like the one place in the movie that I like to be was like in that like rooftop garden that they, that they kind of have like a a normal Mm -hmm. conversation in. Um, so I I think that might be part of it is like this nostalgia is like imagining a time where, um, you know, there were, there were just, there was less to deal with. Um, and like, even if you could be maybe like bored sometimes or, or alone sometimes, um, it, it feel like not uh, not crippling in the way that this like constant anxiety, like constant low hum of anxiety uh, sort of is, is crippling for a lot of, of, of younger people, I think. Yeah. And I think it's very interesting with a lot of some technological movies where I, I don't know, maybe I can't really make a generalization about it, but it's interesting how some movies about technology emphasize the the destruction of it. Like Terminator is a good example, for example. <laughs> Um, it's like, hey, here's here's technology. Like, look at what we we can create as humans. And the whole arc of the Terminator story is about how the technology then takes over humanity and destroys. Um, Ready Player One had like no indication of the destructive nature of technology. And theoretically, the Oasis has been around a while. And if you literally can do anything in the Oasis, where is the fucking sex dungeon in the Oasis? Because you know it exists. Like, people are oh, not yeah, benevolent. I'm sure, I'm sure it exists in Spielberg's mind. <laughs> <laughs> Please, let me show it. Please. No, yeah, There's only, like, the slightest indication of, like, sexual activity in the Oasis and that, like, kind of beginning montage exposition thing. And he's like, you can go to this casino planet. You can get married or divorced. And then it shows this motel. It's and he's like, or stay a night there. <laughs> like, oh, nice. Oh, wow. Nice. Just normal, you know, bread and butter consensual sex is happening in that hotel room. Yeah. Good old wholesome Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, like, in it's very sad. It's I think it's like a, a sad thing that our culture uh, has not mourned properly. But how the Internet, which was invented by Al Gore, was meant to be... <laughs> Uh, the internet was like the people who invented it that that time i forget exactly this the story but the first thing that was ever sent over what is now the internet was like a an email and it was just like a single word and there's there's some kind of like beauty to to what the word was though i don't remember it um and they must have (laughs) thought like we have wow like we discovered fire like we are prometheus and we have discovered the thing that will save humanity and probably like later that day someone was like hey this would be a really good way to send pictures of naked children you know what i mean like it just like instantly became evil it's like pandora's box and not not evil that's that's wrong to say but the capacity for evil has certainly uh allowed creativity and evil to merge in a way that the 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 founders or inventors of it never could have imagined yeah, and yeah 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 and i was gonna say there's a it's it's kind of you get a double-edged sword here where in the early days of the internet and even now like with such high connectivity you're able to if you're like a if you're a group like a marginalized group you're able to connect to people who are like you 
and you're able mm-hmm. to find that. And maybe like you couldn't find that in the mass culture. Um, but on the flip side, like if you were are like a rightfully marginalized, um, mm-hmm. like crazy group, it also is really easy to find people like you. Um, yeah, you can recruit. Kind of validate yeah. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where I was thinking like, you know, like whether you're like a flat earther or like a white nationalist, like it's a lot easier. It's like if you're just going in around your, your day-to-day life, people aren't flat earthers. People aren't white nationalists. You can't like just see them out there. But then if you're able to like get on a website and like suddenly you have this almost poisonous community um, in a way yeah, that like that's... other communities can be can be helpful. So like, you know, they stay because they can be whoever they want to be. Yeah. And like there might be, I mean, if the internet is like totally democratic uh, and every voice is kind of equally accessible, a website like like an amazing charity has a website, but as does this obscure hate group that has like a hundred person membership and both are like essentially easily accessible or as easily accessible. So it almost, it almost has this opportunity to like democratize some evil things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just, it provides such a sweeping mirror of like human personality and just how unbelievably broad, like the human experience is from like its most, like good natured to just most like horrifying <laughs> shadow <laughs> manifestations and like yeah I, f- I feel like it's just getting more extreme you know especially mm-hmm. or at least the extremities like coming more to the forefront i th- i guess it's probably always been extreme but it, so much has been like relegated to the dark web and mm-hmm. all that shit but like i feel like that's becoming that chat like this like the shadow right the shadow self is like mm-hmm. mirrored in the dark web and it seems so much of it is like entering consciousness and especially since trump got elected and like all these like hate groups are finding like so much energy and especially in like it seems an online base mm-hmm. and so it's like that that collective consciousness is kind of expanding in a way by like becoming more aware of these shadow elements and like, you know, everything going on with the Catholic church and stuff like that just kind of keeps going, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. secret it's hidden for so long. And then now, you know, it's starting with journalism, but it's, you know, now it just spreads like wildfire just all through like the consciousness of the internet. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think it's like when you, when you're online um, or when you're in the Oasis, like, and you take on this identity you're also capable of a lot more like cruelty than you would be just in your normal, like your, yeah. your normal identity. Um, mm-hmm. Cause like thinking like back when we first started talking about like Gamergate, um, it's not like those, those guys who were upset about these like female journalists or female game developers would like go up to those people on the street and harass exactly. them like that. It's like, but when you have the cover of, you know, I'm, I'm on Twitter or like, even if you're using your real name, like your online presence gives you some, mm-hmm. some remove, some, some way of like, okay, I'm taking this role of like, now I'm more aggressive or, or now I'm, I'm meaner. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that's pretty dangerous. Yeah. That's really dangerous and pretty disgusting. Yeah. And it seems to be so much like, I don't know, like people can't express, like, I feels very Freudian to me. Like the, there's this id, you know, this more, aggressive formless like primal drive and 
you know, it's not allowed expression in society. It's it, it leads to this kind of repression, you know, this internalized moralizing force that's like, no, you can't just go beat up that guy. Like, it's it's not allowed. And it's like all these people have this crazy internal battle going on because of what is permissible in the bounds of society. And like the bounds of society and the bounds of the internet are not synchronous with each other. Like they're, they kind of operate in different planes in a sense. So they take this, you know, neurotic unbalanced psyche that is in some ways like resulting of our our culture or at least in like upbringing and then just like put it all out through this you know fake personality or through this um you know whatever the reddit account a different social media account or their gaming account whatever it might be and like that that it's not like you just can get that out and then it's like okay i'm good now it's like yeah. The more you get that out, the more you like crave the release, you know, like the whole, I think that's how like Ted Bundy talked about his like psychotic murders that like, you know, it starts off small and you get this, you know, think like, oh, this will be the last one. This will take care of this impulse, but it just like builds and grows and grows. Yeah. And I think with, um, to go back to religion, I think like our culture has swung so, f- at least in the, like the western culture has swung so far away from religion now that a lot of that um that social role that religion used to play where it was um you know think of your own sinfulness think of your own like potential for evil and like try to hold that back um and like you know on the on the uh, bad side of that that might turn into like you know like repressive repression and and, like some some Mm -hmm. negative consequences but like i think like within the context of the religion too like you know, with everything happening with the Catholic yeah. Church. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but I think like we've we've now kind of swung so far to um, I, I don't think it's this exactly like the godless religion and in, in Ready Player One. But this idea like the ultimate good is is personal freedom yeah. and personal yeah. expression. And like when you when you have that as your ultimate good, then like you kind of forget that, you know, there does need to be self-control. There does need to be like thought for for the other Um because I think that's like, you know, part of part of like all of the, you know, great religions of the world. There's always this element of um, like the self as like a fallen state that you need to like be very careful with what you're what you're capable of. Um, but then also like with that idea, you also have to show kindness to other people. Um, and, I, and I think like right now our culture is very much um, not in a self-control mode. It's like in a consumer mode of. Like, don't mm-hmm. control your impulses, like, um, indulge them, go ahead and, and buy mm-hmm. everything that you need, go ahead and say whatever you want. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, um, I don't like the phrase you do you, you know, and that's thrown around a lot. Right. And the reason why I don't like it is because I think at its core, it's, it's a good message. And I think that message is when the idea of you do you means be your best self. But I think the way it's most commonly used is like, simply be yourself. And taking that to like an even deeper, darker extreme, it's just do what you want. And on the surface, that seems like kind of harmless. It's like, do what you want, be you. I know it's meant to be an affirming, like you should affirm your difference and this sort of thing. But like taken to just like a very, very, very slight step further, it's it's actually a very horrifying phrase. (laughs) Uh, yeah, it, it's moral it, relativism. It's it's complete moral relativism. It's like you do yeah. you. Like, are you like 
you you do you like would you say yeah. that to anyone would you yeah, say like, that to like osama extreme? bin laden <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah you do you hey buddy you do you yeah. hey yeah you know fly those planes into those towers yeah. you do you buddy yeah hey he was just doing him you know you can't blame him like, yeah it, that's that's phrase itself is pretty masturbatory you yeah, do oh. you yeah you're right wow. <laughs> Sigmund Freud. He would Sigmund Freud. <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's really I, I just think it's it's very destructive because it seems so innocent, perhaps. Yeah. It's like the world doesn't revolve around you. It, it, you would not say that to a to a bad person. So why say it to a good person who has the potential to be bad? I don't know. Maybe that's being a little sadistic or cynical. Well, have we brought this one to explosion? <laughs> I think we, yeah, I think we yeah, did. I think so. <laughs> I like how we basically didn't talk about the movie, which I'm very happy about because, <laughs> yeah, I because I've seen this movie good. twice and I don't think I could really explain it. Yeah, I don't think we need to. I don't think anyone would care to hear no. about that. And I feel like all the interesting stuff we talked about, like, is probably like in credit to the novel. So we can mm. thank the novel for bringing these themes up and still give no credit to the movie. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. <laughs> I actually really want to read this book now. Like, I've heard it's, it's really good. Yeah, listening to Ernest Klein talk is interesting. He just seems like a pretty interesting, smart nerd. <laughs> oh, does he kind of talk like Mark Rylance from the movie? <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck is Mark Rylance? Like. <laughs> It's this guy in like all these movies, and all of a sudden everyone's like, "Oh, not Mark ev- everyone, everyone being like Steven Spielberg and like yeah. a couple other Hollywood elite, <laughs> like, oh, Mark Rylance is great. Yeah, he's so amazing. <laughs> like, where has this guy been? <laughs> hey, you know he was in that movie with Hanks, um, spy Bridge movie. of Spies. Yeah, Bridge of yeah, Spies. The, yeah, he played a Russian guy. That's where he got <laughs> his where he got his Oscar, like Phil That's Collins. Right. <laughs> Did you say that because the two men look alike? <laughs> no, but I guess they kind of do. They kind of do look alike. No, I just I just think back to how Phil Collins beat Trey Parker and Matt Stone for the yeah. best original song Oscar, and mm-hmm. um, they beat out the South Park movie in the very next South Park episode. Just really ripped on Phil Collins <laughs> the whole episode. Yeah. Like, the episode ended with people booing him off the stage and like passing him down a line of people with the Oscar jammed up his ass. <laughs> I really I do appreciate in a very South Parkian way the fact that instead of making fun of the Academy, like the, the Academy Motion film, they made fun. He used it to rip on Phil Collins. Yeah, I guess Trey Parker said like he he knew they would lo- they would lose, but not to him. Like, <laughs> the fact that it was to Phil Collins that most upset them. That's really hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this was good. It was fun. Yeah. We covered, covered a lot of ground in this one. Thanks, thanks for your perspective, David. It's refreshing. Oh, thank, you. thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. I always appreciate that. Yeah, hopefully you listen to it now, David, because no one else will otherwise. Yes. <laughs> Except for TJ Miller. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Hi, TJ. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, TJ. And, uh,